How many of you know God doesn't make mistakes? He created us all with a purpose. Every living thing. Just last night, we were able to watch the, the B movie. And uh, it's an animated film, and it's amazing what we can pull from those moments. But in my past life, you know, I grew up in Miami, Florida, got really big into fish aquariums and fell in love with nature. And I was, I was, I was, I don't think my name Noah came by accident. I loved animals. I love animals. And I was always intrigued by the, the symbiotic relationships of fish and aquariums and the clownfish with the anemones and the, the way everything works together. And as we were watching the bee movie last night, I was watching the bees and the significance of a bee. I mean, just earlier that afternoon, I was at my mom's house, and there's dead bees. We're swatting them because they're a nuisance in some cases. But then I watched the bee movie, and I felt bad about seeing dead bees. And But they're so significant. In fact, when you call an exterminator to come kill the bee nest, the beehive, they won't. They're going to remove it, and they're going to replace it somewhere else because of the significance of bees. I never would have thought. But life on this planet is hugely dependent upon bees. They're very significant. God created bees for this purpose, and he had a plan for them. When I was at the, the meeting, and it was the Low Country Pregnancy Center that was doing the meeting on Thursday night where they were talking about abortion. And being that I'm in this mode, the significance mode in my spirit, I see the, the lives of the unborn as so significant and who are we to snuff out something like that? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy. And I can only imagine what God feels like. When we left that night, I made a comment. And I said, I think that guy that they chose to speak into the professional money taker, um, I said, you know, he's, they hired that guy because of his ability. He was, he was sharp. He was good. And um, I'm asked to speak on occasion when pastor's away, and so I can appreciate someone who knows how to speak because I've never had any training. I don't know. I mean, I just do this from my heart. But when you see somebody up there who's sharp and covers all the bases and does what they're supposed to do, it's amazing how they can coerce you emotionally to, to give. And, and I, it was like a slap in the face when we left, and I made that comment, and my wife said, you know, you, you always think people are after your our money whenever we go to those types of things. And I'm, you know, I say, oh yeah, always. I'm always doing that, you know. There's a, there's a peak behind the veil of Noah and Kelly's relationship. It's like, my goodness. But then it was like the Holy Spirit just got a hold of me and said, you know, this is a cause that I stand behind. The Lord stands behind. He's, he's, you do know that God is pro-life. I'm just saying, just putting it out there. Because he sees significance in everybody. He sees significance in the, in the creation of everything that he's made. So I've chosen out of the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles ready. I've chosen some verses that Paul writes that talk to us about what I believe to be significance and how to achieve significance in our own right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. I've entitled this, video, this, uh, this sermon today, Make It Count. Make it count. Because it's up to us to make our lives count. 
God's given us everything that we need to achieve whatever it is he's called us to do, but we need to make it count. So let's go ahead and uh, read. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an unperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. These are very powerful words spoken by Paul. And most of us would probably like to know that our lives counted for something before we leave this earth. I don't know why this technology is failing me. I'm glad I have my backup. Now, some seeking to fill the need of significance, I believe that, and I did for so long, we go about it the wrong way. Others, for other reasons, and we saw that one woman, you know, some of us quit. We give up. We give up on trying to attain significance. But it, nonetheless, significance is going to remain a basic human need and desire. We all desire to be significant. We all desire to achieve something in life, be it spiritually and the natural. And that's just a, a, a fact. The definition of significance... Matt, if you'll post that, is to have meaning. Having or likely to have influence or effect of a noticeably or measurably large amount. That's the definition of significance. I believe that God wants us to live lives that have meaning. And he wants us to live lives that are significant. I mean, he said it himself in John 10.10. He said that I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So he, again, he's pro-life. And he wants us to, to have a significant life. Of course, that's offered to us um, in speaking about the eternal life. I mean, you know, we, we know that we're going to have life of abundance in, in eternity. But I believe that he also spoke of the here and now. That meaning and fulfillment that we crave, you've got to understand, while it's very real and it's God-given, it doesn't come to us by accident. We've got to go after it. There's a level of discipline and, and stick-to-itiveness and persistence that we've got to push through in order to achieve these levels of significance in our lives. As we were singing this morning in... I just I was getting a revelation of how much God loves us. And you know, I have children and I see my little girls. And I want them so badly to to achieve and to be the best they can possibly be. And there's a lot that I'm going to do for them. There's a lot that I am doing for them. That we're doing for them. They have all the assistance my church family, how you guys have stepped in and helped us raise our children. There's no shortage of help for them. But there is a will, sometimes a very strong will, 
But nonetheless, that will has to be submitted to the things of God. Amen? And that applies to all of us as children of God. I may sow into her all the precept and give her all the tools that she needs to achieve whatever it is that God has called her to achieve, but ultimately it boils down to her desire to please God with her actions and do what she's supposed to do. I'm so looking forward to watching her grow up. Now, as you look through the Word of God, we read stories and um, we see a lot of significant things happening. And I don't believe we can find one person in all the Word of God that lived more significantly than Paul, aside from Jesus, of course. And so when I study Paul and I look at his life, it's amazing what he went through to get where he was able to write to us and to allow the Holy Spirit to use him. It gives me tremendous hope to know where he came from in order to to get to us. I thought about if uh, at the end of Paul's life, if the Christians of his day were to observe his life through a eulogy at his death, at his funeral. I kind of wrote one for who Paul would be um, based on what I've, I've learned through the Word, and I'm sure there's so many more details that were left out that would have been included in this, but I wanted to say this, that it would have probably gone something like this. Here's a man who started out with nothing. He worked hard and climbed to the top of his profession. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to the strictest strictest discipline of of his people back then. And then, in the middle of his life, he met Jesus. And he threw everything else away, all that he had strived for. He started over from nothing. No, he started over from less than nothing. No one would accept him. Not his Jewish friends, not his Christian friends, nobody. But that didn't stop him from living a significant life. Even though he started over with life half gone, Paul lived significantly. That is a great eulogy. I wouldn't mind mine sounding something like that. I mean, do you think Paul had a philosophy of living? Do you suppose that there were some principles that he lived by that governed his life and caused him to become significant? I think so. Through the scripture that we opened up with, I pulled four points from it that I believe that if we can observe these and implement them in our our own lives, that we can certainly become significant. Now, pastor will be proud of me because typically I don't do the whole bullet point preaching But uh, I know Pastor thinks in outline, so Pastor, if you're listening to this on iTunes, this is for you. All right. Four points. The first being ambition. I think we see ambition in these scriptures. In verse 24, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now, I'm reading from two different verses because I wanted to kind of pull, or two different versions of the Bible because I wanted to pull some perspective into it. But I'm going to read that again. Verse 24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? 
And so we're being encouraged to run in such a way that we may win. To set the ambition, to set the goal. One of the things I love about Paul is that he's kind of a guy's guy. He speaks in sports. And uh, it allows us to, it allows me at least, to, to take the words and to take the, the heart that the Holy Spirit is trying to convey and really brings it home. So I'm going to use a lot of sport illustrations in this sermon um, to really bring it home. Some years ago, Auburn was playing Syracuse in the Sugar Bowl. The score was 17-14 with Syracuse in the lead. Auburn had the ball, was driving downfield. With seven seconds remaining, Auburn had the ball on the Syracuse 12-yard line. It's third down, and Coach Paydye was faced with a serious decision. Go for the touchdown and win or lose, or kick a field goal and settle for a tie. Auburn kicked the field goal. They made it. They didn't lose, but they didn't win either. After a whole season of blood, sweat, and tears by the players and the coaches, in a nationally televised game, when they had their chance to win, they settled for a tie. So what? I mean, they didn't lose, right? It's not that big a deal. What's wrong with that? There's no shame in a tie. That's true, but what we're talking about here is living significantly. Listen to Paul again. He says, run in such a way that you may win. Paul wasn't talking about a football game. Paul wasn't talking about boxing or running or golf or any of those you know, good feeling, easy to read topics, how to run your business. He was talking about running the race called the Christian life. And that's what I wanted to talk about here this morning. We come into the house of God that we might be encouraged and exhorted. Yes, but this is a training ground. And I take this time up here very seriously. If anybody knows me in here, you know I'm a very fun-loving, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I think I'm the the hugger in the church. You know, I, I love to love people. When I get up here, something comes over me that says, listen, this is your time to shine. This is the time that I want my word to penetrate the hearts of those around. I don't mean to be a downer. I don't mean to, to, to throw condemnation. But if the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes over you, then I'm doing my job. We are called to run in such a way that we might win this Christian race that we are running in this lifetime. We can't settle for mediocrity. We can't settle for a tie. In Philippians 3.14, Paul said that I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of us who live our lives in this fashion in every other arena. From our business, how we raise our family, maybe we're coaches at our kids' softball team or t-ball and we attach that attitude to every other arena in life except our attitude in our spiritual walk. I think that God deems it a great tragedy to see people strive in life for things that don't reach Him. I want to challenge us this morning to consider the things that we're striving for in life, the things that we're wanting to achieve, how we view ourselves as significant. And why we view ourselves as significant. We need to see life from God's perspective. 
mean, when he looks at you, he sees someone who possesses a talent, a gift, brains. And for some of us, we're just drifting along, spiritually speaking. We might be going hard at it in our natural work world, in our relationships, in our families. But spiritually, are you just drifting along or are you engaged? What is your spiritual ambition like? We need to hook up our ambition to the things that last for eternity. If you can with me this morning, relate everything that you do today to how it affects your eternity. Because there is an eternity. Time, time does not exist there. We exist in eternity even now, in that the things that we do now affect our eternity. Which is the whole reason you guys are even sitting in a church on a Sunday morning. You want to get closer to the things of God. You want to know that He's real. You want to know that He looks at you and says that He's proud of you for doing the things that you're doing, even if it's just on a Sunday morning. At least I hope that's why we're here. Spiritual laziness will kill our lives, the lives that God has purposed for us. And so many of us go through life, going through motions, even church life, going through the motions to become significant in some ways, but we might not be reaching the heart of God in that our pursuit for Him is not... It's, it's mere flesh. It's mere uh, uh, tangible what I can see in this earth rather than the, the, the things that you're going after in your quiet time as you're presenting yourself to him and as you're acting out the things when he says to you to do something that is just totally off the wall and bizarre and you've heard his voice and you choose not to do it, I think he looks at that as laziness. It's like a guy whose boss asked him, how long does it take you to get to work in the morning? And he replied, well, about an hour after I get here. Don't let that be you. You know, when we, when we consider the things of God, we've got to go into his courts with thanksgiving and praise and be ready right when we get there to start interacting with him. To, when you wake up first thing in the morning, your feet touch that floor next to your bed. Our purpose should be to serve him immediately. It's amazing what we can do when we put him first. He is our significance, really, when you consider it. But Paul didn't settle for mediocrity in his natural or spiritual life. We shouldn't either. In Acts 14, think about this. This is, oh. When Paul was preaching to a crowd in Lystra, some of his opponents, you remember the crowd that, that Paul was preaching to, some of the opponents turned the crowd against Paul, and they dragged him out of the city walls and beat him, stoned him, and left him for dead. And as soon as he came to, with some divine help, I do believe, he arose, went back into the city to preach the good, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what ambition looks like. While I don't wish that on anybody in this room, those circumstances, I do, however, pray that the ambition level in your spirit arise to such a, a point where the gospel of Jesus Christ must be preached at all costs. That means your personal relationships with your family. As I look through this room, there are, there's so many faces represented here that I know the division that has been caused in your families because you stand for the gospel. 
because you stand for the truth. I know the upheaval at jobs. I remember when I met my wife. We, uh, one of our first dates, actually, I considered our first date. She, she wasn't dating me yet, but I was dating her. <laughs> we went, there was a, uh, Spileto, Piccolo Spileto Festival, and she was working. And she said, yeah, I'll be working this thing. You know, you're welcome to go by there if you want, you know, whatever. You know, nothing big. I'm like, sweet, a date. And so I show up to Piccolo Spileto, expecting her to be working, and she's not working. She's in this African drum circle, dancing. And then if anybody knows my wife, she lived in Africa for quite a while, and uh, she, can, she can dance. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But I was surprised to find her not working. And um, I didn't really ask at first because I didn't care. I was just glad to be able to see her. But then finally it came out that she was supposed to be working a booth that sells alcohol. And she said, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to serve alcohol. I'm not going to get people drunk. I'm not living with that on my conscience. I serve a God who doesn't want to see that, and that's just how it is. So I respectfully declined the offer to serve alcohol. Didn't care a whit about what they thought. She just knew that she was going to stand for Christ. That's witnessing the gospel. Did she have to memorize a verse to do that? No. She just went with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He said something. It was against. I mean, everybody was drinking. Come on, everybody's doing it. It's just a little booze. You know, it's normal. It's legal. They're all, you know, they've all got their, they're all 21 years old. What's the big deal? The big deal is there's a conviction. And she followed it. I'm so glad that she's a woman of God like that. But we've got to stand, and we've got to have ambition that allows us to do that. So even as Paul went back in, that burning desire to preach the gospel drove him to, to go back into that city, knowing that they might, they might beat him again. And then he goes on in First Timothy to say that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. These aren't just stories in a, in a book. When we read these things, this is a real man who stood in the face of adversity, in the face of pain, and everything unimaginable for us, and he did it. And he, at the end, he could stand and say that. And it's my, my goal to stand before a holy God and to be able to say that to him and not be lying. I know I've got a lot of work to do. I'm not perfect, but I will continue my life to try to be this man. Now, Paul was running his spiritual race in order to win. He wasn't willing to settle for second best. And in the verses that we're reading, he's telling us to do the same thing. So I wanted to ask you, what are you striving for spiritually? As we go through the rest of this message, I want you to be, keep that question on the front of your mind. What are you striving for spiritually? The second point that I want to bring up is that if we're going to live a life with, of significance, we've got to have certainty. Or aim. Those can be interchangeable. In verse 26, we read that, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. In Alice in Wonderland, there's a scene where Alice approaches the Cheshire cat. I think that's how you pronounce it. And says, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the cat replies, That depends a good deal on where you want to go. Alice says, I don't much care where. The cat replies, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Alice just said that she wants to get somewhere, and the Cheshire cat tells her, well, you're sure to do that if you just walk long enough. 
we're going to end up somewhere. The question is, where? The even greater question is, if we stay on the course that we're currently on, where is that going to take us? Now, Paul uses boxing and, and running to illustrate his point. And when he says that we box in such a way as not beating the air, can you picture a boxer? Last night was fight night, and there was some big uh, title bout matches that were going on. And you watch these fighters, and they are so honed in and focused. And when they throw a punch, I mean, every single one counts. And in fact, the judges are actually measuring the amount of damage that's being done. You know, they're commenting on, oh, yeah, look, he's got a cut over his eye, or, you know, oh, that was a good body shot. But then at the, if you watch midway through, they'll show you the percentage of how many punches were landed. And so there's this whole focus on making sure that every single blow counts. Could you imagine, imagine a boxer just going into a ring, just throwing punches, and just swinging about, not caring where he is? Some hits the ropes. You know, some just barely missed the, the referee's head. You know, he's just going about just thinking to himself, if I'm going to go down, I'm going down swinging. And he will. Go down, that is. You see, if we're, if we're going to have a meaning in life, we've got to have aim. We've got to have a plan. Last time I spoke to you all, I was sharing that um, we started a new business venture and we're trying to get some focus and, and it's really difficult to write a business plan as I'm learning. But it's critical that we, that we do it in order to achieve something, to, in order to know where we're headed. Even coaches that coach football teams or, or baseball or t-ball, there's a plan. And it's designed to help the team win. It's designed to help the business prosper. It's the, you know, the, your plan is designed to construct something that you would like to see later. If you have to make changes in the future or as you're going along, that's fine. But the initial plan continues to provide the foundation for your strategy. There's got to be strategy. If, you're, if, if you know that God's got a call in your life to reach souls, to make disciples, to preach the gospel, what does that look like more definitively? How does that live out in your natural life, on your daily you know, travel to work? You know, you, you stop at Starbucks, you grab your coffee, you're talking to, you see the same cashier every, every morning. You go to the same grocery store, you see the same managers, you see you know, we're creatures of habit by and large. You, you see the same people. As, but do you have a strategy? Do you have a plan on how you're going to live out your life to be effective for the kingdom? Now, I do realize that we're not going to be able to blueprint our whole life. And God understands that too. And he doesn't, he doesn't expect us to. We can't see the future. But it is crucial that we have a plan that we can accomplish the most of in life, in order to accomplish the most in life. If it has to be fine-tuned or, or changed, that's going to be normal. That's expected. But every, uh, even after we make a minor adjustment, we still have a plan. Because after all, you can't adjust what you don't have. You know, I thought of a, was trying to think of a witty way to, to get that point across, and I pictured a guy who pulled over in his car and asked this old guy for a, directions to a place. He said, well, if you continue the way you're going, it's going to be about 25,000 miles. But if you make a U-turn, it's about three miles up the road. You know, there's, there's, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. And the Word of God and getting the foundation of the Word of God and understanding our purpose through who He says we are is crucial, critical in understanding what we need to do. Otherwise, we're going to be like that guy going down the wrong path 
when all we have to do is get direction from our Lord through His Word, through prayer. And even the Lord will speak to us oftentimes through each other. Just coming together. I can't tell you how many times I've been conversing about something and, and got a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge from one of my brothers or sisters in Christ because they love me, they care, and they knew something I didn't. And it helps, so we need to be able to do that. The second part of having aim is to have persistence in sticking with the plan. If we're going to set a plan, guys, it's just going to be important that we stick with the plan. It's not enough to, to spend the time and energy and effort to develop a plan that we're going to stray from and fail because we fail to adhere to the plan. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You do know that to succeed is really simply just getting up one more time than you fail. That's success. That applies both in the physical and spiritual realm. It's probably easier to understand it in the physical realm, which I believe that's why Paul gives us so many illustrations in the Word that relate to things that we can comprehend. But it applies in the spiritual as well. Jesus told a story in Luke 11 of a man who came to his friend's door asking for three loaves of bread. The man inside didn't want to be bothered. So he tried to send him away, but he didn't leave. Finally, Jesus told the hearers in verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. It's important. If we have a plan, we can be persistent because we know we stand on what God has told us to do. So if we want to live a life of spiritual significance and meaning, we've got to have aim. The aim is going to be defined by a plan and is achieved by persistence. We've got to persevere. And thirdly, if we want to find life with meaning, we're going to have to have self-control. This is the biggest one for me. So many times I've said that I'm going to, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get to that place that I want to be. I'm going to, I'm going to work out three days a week. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And the, the, the only, I mean, my heart's there. I've got the, the vision. I set out a plan. I've got everything that I need, but I just lack the self-control. And I don't think I'm alone in that. In verse 25, it says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That means disciplined in all things, controlled in all things. Now, they do it for a, to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And then verse 27 says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached the gospel to others, I myself should become disqualified. You're not going to experience holiness without some work on your part. Amen? I know that God counts us as holy because of what Jesus did for us. But even he said in First Peter that we are to strive for holiness in all of our behavior. Self-control is the road that's going to take us there. In First Timothy it says, And on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If you think about it, in any arena in life, if you're going to learn to play golf well, what do you have to do? You've got to do it. 
You've got to go out there. You've got to get on the course. You've got to hit ball after ball after ball. If you want to run well, if you want to win, you've got to go out. You've got to put yourself on the road. Put on your running shoes. Get out there and beat the street. One of my biggest struggles is spending time, and this is going to... Don't, don't judge me for this, but making time to spend time before the Lord. I'm up here preaching to you, and I'm telling you that one of my biggest faux pas in life is not taking the time to spend to get before the Lord. Now, when pastor assigns me with a, a, a topic or he gives me a, a date to preach, I can assure you that two weeks before that date, I'm before the Lord. I'm almost thankful that he puts me up to bat from time to time simply because it causes me to say, oh my, I better get my act together and stay before God. But after it goes, you know, I almost feel a sense of relief when we're done here today and go on about life. I know I'm just being transparent, you know, and I've got a business to run Monday morning. I've got kids to raise Monday evening, a wife to love, friends to maintain. It's busy. Yeah, I talk to God. But self-discipline in that area, while I can discipline myself to get up in the morning and do the book work that I have to do, I assure you my kids get fed every single day, whether my wife does it or I do it. They get fed. There's discipline in that. You've got to do it, lest they die. It's not a good thing. But why not spiritually? Why am I not, why am I not so disciplined in feeding myself? Where's the self-discipline in making sure that it happens? Why don't I view myself and my relationship with the Lord as, as significant that if I don't do it on a regular basis, I'll die. That wasn't on my notes. I'm just thinking out loud right now. That's conviction coming on me. But again, I know I'm not alone in all this. I've heard people say that when they have habits that they know they shouldn't have, smoking is one, not even a habit. That's an addiction. I've heard this. Well, if God wants me to quit, he'll take it away from me. Eh. Where does it say that in the Word of God? I have not seen anywhere. I mean, all I see is that we are to discipline ourselves, that there's a lot of work that we are supposed to go through in order to achieve these levels of holiness. And I know that coming before a holy God, that even our righteous works are as filthy rags, but nonetheless, there's discipline. There's an element of, of stick-to-itiveness and understanding, and we, we set Him on a pedestal in our life and say, Lord, this, I want to achieve you. That's what he gets off on. But there's no verse in the Word of God that's going to say that he's going to take it away from you. I will tell you this, however. God is a deliverer. I was addicted to cigarettes before I came to this church. I do not attribute my victory to this church. I attribute my victory to the power of God. But it was only when I came to him broken and contrite and submitted myself to him and said, Lord, here's my baggage and take it. I am thankful to say that he delivered me from that in, in totality. And that is, I, I, you know, even as I wrote these words out, I said, you know, Lord, I know you don't say in your word that you're going to do stuff for us in that regard. You call us to be disciplined and to resist and, and all the rest, but... You did that for me. So I want to encourage you guys. There is an element to our God that will take something from you that is not of him. And he can totally 
demolish it. I believe that the spirit of homosexuality is a spirit that he can take away. There's some things that even through prayer and fasting that, you know, there's some of those demons that wouldn't flee unless through prayer and fasting. I believe the spirit of addiction is one. The spirit of homosexuality, bestiality, and all those things that people just, they say, well, I was just made like that. That's just who I am. No, it's not. God can take those things away, but it will take a level of discipline, self-discipline, for you to maintain that freedom. If you're going to live a significant life in the earth, you cannot be bound by these petty demons. The Lord, our God, gave us the power and authority to crush them under our feet. You have to take hold of that and understand that as you take dominion over that realm, that you have the authority to abolish those things, to kill those things, to snuff it out. My wife right now is, is heading up a giant, a Goliath in the earth today, and that is human trafficking. It's huge. It's been going on. Slavery has been going on since, well, it's always been going on. And do I believe that it's God's heart that slavery exists in the earth? Absolutely not. I even look at that giant and say, ooh, honey, that's all you. You know, I appreciate, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll type up stuff for your newsletter or whatever, you know, whatever you're doing. I'll, I'll help you in any way that I can. But there's a, I, I watch her go before him and toil in prayer. I mean, you would think, how can you toil? You're just laying on your face. Oh, trust me. But there's a level of discipline, and it's linked to passion. And guys, none of this, none of this is going to work at all unless you have a passion, a passion for the things of God. And in fact, I'm going to move on to the next point because that has, that's what it has to do with God focus. We've got to have God focus. Paul says in verse 27, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I my, myself should become disqualified. There are certain things that we're doing on this earth, certain ministries that we sow our time, energy, and effort into. That while it may produce fruit in the earth, there's some things that we just need to get a hold of God's heart on. And as He fuels us with the passion that only He can give us, it will cause things to manifest on this earth that will not only manifest here but carry into the next life. We're going to stand before a holy God one day. Knack it. That's naked and southern. With nothing. We came into this world with nothing and we take nothing out of it. Except what we have sown forward. I, I, I'm going to tell a joke. I'm just off the cuff here. There's a, uh, a guy who was filthy rich, living back in the day of you know, the Egyptians. and I mean, he had all the gold you can ever ask for. He spent his whole life striving to achieve wealth, and he did a very good job. Well, a week before his date with destiny, an angel came to him and said, Listen, um, rich dude, you're about to die in a week, so you know, this is kind of a, a wake-up call. You've got one week to go ahead and tell your friends, family, anything that means anything to you. Just go ahead and tie up your loose ends, start saying your goodbyes. I'll be back in a week. And it shocked the rich guy. He said, Well, well before you go... Um, I don't really, I don't, I don't have my family. They all left me because I've been focused on money. Um, I really never made any friends because I was focused on money. But I made a lot of money. I mean, I've got all this gold. Do you think, um, do you think I can take it with me? And the angel looked at him and was kind of taken aback for a minute. 
and looked at the gold, I don't see why not. Sure. Um, so the next week, this rich guy spent all of his time putting this gold into bags and bins and baskets and got it all together. So when a week later, the angel showed up and he said, all right, let's go. He kind of teleported them all into the, at the, to the foot of the pearly gates. There's all these bins and baskets and the archangel at the gate saw the rich guy and didn't understand what was going on. He said, oh, um, can I help you? He said, yeah, I'm, I'm here to see God. I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm, it's time for me to to go. I'm transcending. I'm, I'm moving into the... He said, all right, well, what's all this? He was like, oh, well, I asked the angel if I could bring my gold with me. And he said, yeah, sure. So is that cool? And he's like, oh, yeah, come on. We can use some more paving material. Because you know that all of the streets in, gold are, in heaven are paved with gold. I think that's funny because some of us spend our time trying to achieve things that really, even though we see value here, they really don't mean anything when we, go where we're, when we end up where we're, where we're headed. Um, and it's only at death, usually, that we're reminded that there are riches that only God knows. And there's riches that are non-transferable. And the Apostle Paul said that we have brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But there are things that we can send ahead. Now, the first three principles that we talked about would work with just about anything in life. I mean, whether it's boxing or running, you know, we can use them to get rich, famous, strong, smart, whatever we set our mind to. But without this last point, a focus on God, all the accomplishments drop off when we leave this life. So if you don't get anything else out of this message today, I want you to get this. The focus on worldly things will amount to nothing when we get to heaven. And I trust that we all in this room are going to heaven. And I'm not saying that your lives are evil because your focus may have been on, on the temporal things. But I want you to, to consider those things that you're going to be taking ahead. Because I've been around pastor long enough to watch him do his share of funerals. And some of them are great. Um, in fact, I had an opportunity to do one once. And uh, it's not easy because every, you got everybody looking at you to hear the final words of this man or woman who once lived. And um, the hardest part is when you get to the eulogy and you go ahead and start looking for something to say. I know when I had an opportunity to do it, and I know talking to pastor that he usually would look for something that the person has now that they can take on to the next life. And that's a tough one. He even said that if you hear me say that this guy got up and walked his dog every morning, that he's, he's, he's reaching, he's grasping for something good to say. I mean, there might be a bank account. It's worthless. In fact, the relatives are probably going to fight over it now. There's his worldly fame, if they ever accrued any. Worthless. Nobody knows him. The nice house that he lived in, that's a big one. It's just a big empty box when he's not in it. But it's still here. All your friends and family, I, I just think about when you're living in the world, 
I'm so grateful that God extracted me from the life that I lived because I could just picture my, my old drinking buddy sitting around my funeral probably getting sauce just to cope with it and talking about the silly stuff that we did. None of that's going to amount to anything. I know they don't drink booze where I'm going. I would search for something, anything that I might say about what they sent forward. If there's nothing to say, what a pity. What a waste. Paul said, and everyone who competes for the prize is disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but us for an imperishable crown. He's speaking of eternal life. Something that is imperishable. It stands between this life and the next. It's so important. I'm going to conclude with this story. Robert Ballard, some of you may recognize the name. He was a man with a quest. This is the man that wanted to find the Titanic. Now, on September 1st, 1985, he discovered the sunken ship in the North Atlantic, more than 350 miles off the coast of Newfoundland. He wrote an account, and it said, My first direct view of the Titanic lasted less than two minutes, but the stark glance at her immense black hole were towering above the ocean floor, and that will remain forever ingrained in my memory. My lifelong dream was to find this great ship, and during the past 13 years, the quest for her has dominated my life. What is it that dominates your life? What is it? It's going to be something. Even if you're not thinking about it, something is going to dominate your life. We're all living for something. Be it a racehorse or a rocking chair. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I want us this morning to stop for a moment and ask ourselves where we're headed. And even, I know some of you are taking notes. I want you to take this moment to take out a piece of paper and write it down. What is it that you're striving for? Post it on your mirror at home or wherever you spend most of your time. Rear your mirror in the car and it's not right in the middle. And then ask yourself another question. Is that really where you want to go? Or is it where God wants you to be? What do you want people talking about at your funeral? I'm not that old. I know that God's going to take me when he's ready. But I've, I've thought about this from time to time. I've seen funerals drive by. And I remember there was a day in Charleston where people would pull over on the side of the road, get out of their car and take their hats off and stand and observe with respect those that are driving by. But even today as I see those funerals going by, you see the police escorts coming, you know it's coming, you know, man, if I'm going to get caught of this light, I better hurry up because it's going to be a while or not. Because there's some funerals where there's, man, there's so many cars that just keep on going and going. And you're like, golly, this person must have been really important or special. And then there's those funerals that just has, you know, a limousine and two cars following. 
And I always think about, you know, I don't know the person that's there. But I just think, you know, I wonder what their life amounted to. And part of it you can see just from the amount of cars following that, the hearse. And then if I had the privilege to sit in and listen to what was said, you know, I always, I ask my, I just wonder these things. And it always gets me thinking without fail, what are people going to say about me? I mean, did my life matter? Did I, did I achieve anything that meant anything to anybody? Because God knows I try hard. I do. I mean, I wake up, I'm not, I don't think I'm lazy. I mean, I wake up and, I mean, I start the day off to, with priorities in mind and, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do, what I think I'm supposed to do. And at the end of the day, did it all amount, did it, did it amount to anything? What's it, what's, where's it leading me? And I don't dwell on this on a regular basis, but there are times when I ask myself, is this all there is to life? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And that's really what spawned this message today because I want to live a life that's significant. I want to be able to look around if I have an out-of-body experience at my funeral and look at the people who come and to hear what they have to say, to hear the little chitter, you know, the chit-chat that goes on around the room regarding who I was and what I meant to that person specifically. If you're here this morning and you've never really given that much thought, I want to challenge you right now to think about that. Because the most important question I'm going to ask is this. Will you still have what's on that paper the first day into eternity when you leave? It is a privilege and an honor to serve our Lord in this earth. And we have it so good in the United States right now. And I mean that because I can do this right here in a public forum. Anybody can walk through our doors and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. That is amazing. Let's take advantage of that while we live here. There's so many underground churches in China and other places that they don't, they don't get, they put their lives on the line to do the work of the ministry. And that doesn't always look like preaching, you know. A significant life before God doesn't mean standing up here preaching to the masses. What it means is, how are you handling yourselves at work? How are you conducting yourselves with friends and family? Are you compromising on your Christian faith because of what someone else might say or do? Stand with me, will you?